him. <laughs> so we'll carry him back to your seat. Do you mind doing that for her? All right. Well, it's beautiful, isn't it? So good, so good, so good. Well, we're going to pull out some chairs um, because this Sunday we're just going to dedicate um, our time to answering um, some questions that you guys submitted over the last couple of weeks um, regarding uh, the new series. Thank you, fellas. Um, love, sex, and everything in between. We figured if we preached a short message, we may not, uh, you know, every time we gather on Sundays, we may not be able to answer all the questions. And so we want to dedicate this Sunday to try to get through a lot of these questions. Is that good? All right. All right. Babe, do you need a, uh, like a music stand or something? Hey, Janata, can we get a music stand? They'll get it for us. And um, let me pop open the iPhone here. Janata or somebody that has got muscles. Okay, Amy's got muscles. I saw her. Thank you. Thank you so much, Amy. Okay, well, by the grace of God, we hope to get through about six uh, questions. No, I did say by the grace of God. Um, so um, we're going to get right into this, okay? Let's, let's just open with a word of prayer. Yep, it's true, we like to pray a lot, we like to sing a lot, and we like to preach a lot, so all those things are true. Um, we're guilty. Um, but Father, we do open these uh, moment to you. Lord, we ask, Lord, that you would cover us in wisdom. Father, we, we pray to be, uh, meaning me and Bethany would be helpful, um, and that uh, we together as a congregation would learn the truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, we're going to start off with a bit of a light one, because okay. we, well, we got some heavy, heavy ones this morning. So, um, For our translators, this is question number four, so it's not going to necessarily be in order. Um, yeah, but it's number four for you. It should be. Um, this person asks, how do I talk with my Christian friends who have had sex outside of marriage without pushing them away by sounding judgmental? Let me read that again. How do I talk with my Christian friends who have had sex outside of marriage without pushing them away by sounding judgmental? Any thoughts, babe? You want me to jump right into it? Um, well, initially I would just say um, there's a distinction between have had sex, meaning in the past previously, but are no longer exercising that, <laughs> um, or presently having sex. So, I mean, there's like a, a, a distinction between that. So, if it's someone that previously, and they're no longer, kind of, and I'll, I, I'll use what the Bible calls it, no longer fornicating, <laughs> um, I mean, those are two very distinct things. Um, and we all know that um, there's the grace of God that covers each and every one of us because none of us have done things perfectly. It's only by the grace of God that we stand. And so the amazing thing, let's just acknowledge before we talk about any other aspect of sexuality that the blood of Jesus Christ Amen. is enough Amen. to cover all of our sins. The wonder of the fact that not only are we forgiven, 
that were washed, that were cleansed, that were made new, that he can restore, that he can redeem, that he can reclaim. I mean, that's just miraculous. Let's just pause and marvel at that. Um, Thank you, Jesus. So with that said, had to me says present tense. Um, I don't know if that was what the person was wanting to indicate. Um, So ultimately, there is no judgment because they've ceased from that. And they're now seeking restoration and wholeness and healing and to walk in freedom. Um, And I I want us to emphasize the word freedom. Because when we're talking about these issues of sexuality and how we walk out our sexuality, that's ultimately really what it comes to. Because the expression of it in our culture and society is often seen as freedom. But when you look at the word of God, and we'll look at some passages of scripture today, um, it's very clear that those that practice the works of the flesh, they make themselves slaves to, the, to their flesh, meaning it actually isn't freedom, it's bondage, and you live as a slave to your appetites rather than ruling over your appetites. Um, and so with that, I'd say if it is past tense, there absolutely is no judgment, and if it's present tense, it may just simply be that the person does not know truth. Mm. Meaning, we have a lot of mixed messages in our culture, in our society, and I'm sorry to say even in in the church church world, um, that sometimes we don't take the word of God at face value Mm -hmm. for what it says, Mm -hmm. Um, and so we've adapted it to our own wants and wishes and desires. So I would start from the premise that maybe this friend actually has not read specific scripture or, or been taught accurately, Um, and even maybe just have an open dialogue about what do you think the Bible says? (laughs) And let's look at what the Bible says um, as a starting reference. Sure. Yeah, I always, because I have had experiences like this, and I always try to discern if there's any um, repentant heart, you know, that's in the person. Like, they're actually, like, you know, realizing they've come to understand that this is not right, but they can't just, like, break free, like, um, from, you know, sleeping with their partner. Um, if, if there's not like this softened heart and this repentant heart, I don't venture to start the conversation, you know, at what they're doing wrong, you know, like, like what you're doing is wrong. I don't do that. I try to just friend them. Actually happened, uh, this happened to me this week where I had a conversation, um, with somebody who is on my son's, uh, flag, um, football team, his father. And, you know, he lives a very wayward life, but yet, um, professes faith in Christ. And, uh, you know, I just couldn't make a sense of his faith because his life was just off the rails. It's sexually off the rails even. Um, but I wasn't about ready right there to have a conversation about why he needs to repent. And I'm trying to friend him, get his heart softened, maybe um, highlight some truth here and there, but first connect to his heart, first bridge a gap, a relational gap that may exist between me and him, and then work. Um, uh, from that point, if you would, um, in to start talking about why he needs to repent, why he needs to stop sleeping um, with his girlfriend because they're not married. Is that, is that understandable? So I guess what I'm trying to say is I try to discern if there's any kind of sensitivity, a repentant heart, and I'll make my move according to that. If there's not, I'll leave it alone, try to connect with him as a friend or her as a friend, and work out from that to try to lead them towards repentance from a relationship. Anything else you have on that, babe? No. Okay. All right. All right. Next question for the translators. We'll, um, we will jump to number two on the questions. Number two. Um, this person asks, how can you tell the difference between loving someone 
and maybe loving the idea of them? Let me just add, I love this question. Um, let me read it again. Uh, how, how, how can you tell the difference between loving someone and maybe loving the idea of them? For example, I think a lot of Christian couples move very quickly into relationships because we are always dating um, for the intention of marriage. How do we make sure we don't get ahead of ourselves? And I won't read the last section. She, she, this person quotes, I hope I make sense. You make total sense. Um, uh, any thoughts there, babe? Or do you want me to start? Um, if I'm speaking honestly, which I have a hard time not speaking honestly, <laughs> get myself in a little bit of trouble. Uh, I think most people actually start out from the place of loving the idea of someone um, and not actually the reality of who they are or those present circumstances. Um, and then we, a lot of people have to choose to then grow in love with who the person is in reality. And I say that because, let's put it this way, um, oftentimes we very quickly in a relationship will say that we love someone, like we've known them like two months, three months, maybe even six months. Um, but in a very real sense, you really don't know someone until you've known them for like two years. Like there's various levels of relationship. Absolutely. And the closer you get to somebody, the more you Absolutely. see their faults. Sure. Sure. So when you say you love someone, you're saying, I love all of you knowing full well your strengths and your weaknesses. Sure, sure, sure. And oftentimes when we say we love someone, we like the good points. <laughs> We're like, I like this about you and this works for me. And, you know. and then when it comes down to the negative or the, the weaknesses that they have, we don't necessarily love those things. But love is choosing to walk together. And love is choosing to remain in a committed relationship and being committed to that person on the good days and on the bad days. Um, and so, you know, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, that oftentimes it's the idea, but in, in general, people romanticize what a relationship's going to be like. It's like, we're going to go out to Utah, my favorite restaurants, and then they're just going to watch me shop, yeah, right. and they'll love that. <laughs> you know, like all those things. And then when it doesn't go that way, it's like, I'm not sure you're working for me. You know, it, which we already said, I love this person. Um, and then in addition to that, um, years ago, I was reading this book and studying the topic of marriage specifically. And what this one psychologist actually said was that most of us when we say we love someone or we're looking for love, and I just haven't found love yet or those things, is we're actually, if someone were to bring your perfect match like if someone were to do a perfect match of like compatibility and, you know, strengths and weaknesses and a couple that would be highly, you know, functional together. If somebody were to present that person to you, you probably wouldn't feel love or even want to be with that person. But the interesting thing is that most of us, when we say that we love someone, it's because we've actually found a sense of familiarity. And so what this one psychologist was saying is, is that most of us actually are walking around looking for, when we say I'm looking for like love, we're actually looking for familiar. And so, and you, we may not even understand it. And, and familiar can relate to our family origin. And you can see this played out in all of our lives uh, of as much as we may have um, a parent that is harsh and abrasive and we don't like that then we actually lean toward someone who is harsh and abrasive. 
And I, we don't always, 100% of the time, but the consistency in duplicating relationships when they relate to certain um, emotions or cycles that we had actually with our parents or in our home environment. It's almost like in a very real sense, what we're doing is ultimately recreating that. Um, and the psychologist was basically saying it makes perfect sense because in a very real sense, as functional or as dysfunctional as your home may have been growing up, when it comes to your parents, that is how you define love. Because from the earliest, earliest years, that is who has loved you. And even if they didn't love you well, <laughs> even if they didn't care for you well, and you can decipher that getting older, it was how you defined and identified with love. Um, and so it's, it's very interesting because as you, and sometimes like with some of our friends, it's not until they're like 15 years into marriage that they're like, oh, I had no idea that this was all present. And it's after all these years, it's all evident. Like this is what's happening. Um, so I don't think that we actually realize it on the front end, the places of familiarity. Um, and just as like, it's something you should totally read and research. It is very, very interesting to read about, and if you look in more depth, people's lives, how certain specific patterns get recreated in their lives, almost like to uh, a scary uh, way. <laughs> but um, I think it's actually, who's the inner healing? Cassie and Ian are actually using their book right now. Tran no. Bill Johnson? Nope. Um, Stanford's. The Stanford's yeah. have inner healing. Uh, a book, and they have one called The Transformation of the Inner Man. If you read it, it will terrify you because like case after case of people that were raised in certain environments and certain things in their life, and then once they were married, the whole pattern would play out again. And it was a spiritual component of that we're ultimately looking for familiar rather than actually looking for love, and we define love by what's familiar so in our good. families. It's really good. Wow. I, I start with you first because... You're long-winded. Thank you. Thank I you could so be short-winded, so I can make up for some time. I can make up for some time. Do you want me to talk uh, a little more? No, no, <laughs> no, you're doing great. That's great. That's not, no, 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 sh no shade. I'm not throwing shade. I think it's great. Um, you know, I think a measure of self-control, I think just, I mean, that may seem too easy of a response to this question, um, but I think it's like the person who asked the question, there's a tendency of us, of us all to rush into things, especially um, after dating for a short while, but it's just not smart. Um, I remember my heart started to grow uh, and be fond of Bethany at the age uh, of 18. We were young, and I wanted, if, if you talked to me at that time, I wanted to get married like tomorrow. Um, you know, meaning, uh, like, I fell in love, let's get married. I mean, that's what makes sense. I know I'm 18, don't have a job, you know, don't have a car, don't, I, you know, don't have a bank account. So, um, but thank God for her. Um, her poise and her ability to um, discern and hear God, um, we didn't rush into it. And I can just say that if we had rushed into it, we would not be here today. We would not be here. I, and I can say that uh, with a clear conscience. I can say that, uh, I'm not trying to throw shade, but there were so many places that the Lord wanted to develop my heart, and I'm sure Bethany's heart, uh, before we just rushed into things. Now, we took the long route. You know, I don't recommend 12 years of dating. I, you know, uh, I don't recommend that. Um, but I also would frown upon just a year of knowing each other jumping right into marriage. I mean, that's my, I mean, judge me if you want. I don't care. That's my preference. I have the mic, therefore I can say that. Um, but I, I would wait a good one to two years, I'm sorry, good two to three years before you just jump into marriage. What the heck is the rush? What's the rush? 
get to know the person. You just, just, just think, I mean, you, have to, you will, hopefully by the grace of God, spend the, you know, the, the entire length of your life with this person. Um, you'll smell them. You will wake up next to them in bed when they don't have their makeup on. You know, you will, um, they will frustrate you when they don't pick up their laundry, when they are not putting the dishes away. You know, they, we, we need to just grow in love. We don't need to just rush, you know, rush things because we're in love. If that makes sense, take your time. Take your time. Self-control. Self-control. Fruit of the Spirit. Okay, well, you want me to read the question again? How did can you? I think we did answered we, it. Yeah, did I we think, answer it? I think we did. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so I'd like to just clarify a sure, point. Sure, please. So do. when Daryl said, like, you know, date for a year, there is a huge distinction between dating. And so when we're saying dating, we're saying get to know each other with healthy boundaries and not overstepping sure, boundaries and sure. sinning together yeah. for a year. Get to know each other, meaning in a very... Yeah, don't get yeah. to know each other physically. You know, <laughs> you know like, hey, you want to make addition, out? How do you kiss? You know, let's, let's do this thing. Because, oh, I mean, in, in all honesty, lots of times the rush is that there's a physical dynamic right. that people have physical pressure That's and right. they have to make a decision because yeah. they're now... They've touched the fire. They feel it burning. That's right. Now, That's until right. they yeah. can do the act, they are going to be a miserable creature. Um, so, with that said... We are also big fans of once you've gotten to know each other and sought wise counsel and people can affirm and agree with timing, engagement really should be short because <laughs> there's something about the heart. Once you say, I'm going to marry this person, there is a place where your heart is a lot more open, a lot more free, a lot more settled, a lot more, and it does become more challenging, um, even physically, to remain, uh, you know, with healthy boundaries and integrity. Um, so yeah, you should take it slow <laughs> and long, and then once you know and you have parents and other people speaking into it that agree, you should get engaged and go to the altar quickly. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. I think that was great. Yeah, it was great. Following um, that vein, um, question number five, translators. Um, this says, what are the main things to look for in a potential spouse? What are red flags we should look out for? So what are the main things we should look for in a potential spouse? And what are some flags, some red flags we should be concerned about? Me? Yeah, go ahead. You're the long-winded one. I'll just okay. do like two minutes. You can do five or 10. Just reiterate yeah, sure. what I yeah, say. Yeah, just repeat okay, what you yeah. said. I'm just kidding. <laughs> kind of like a marriage. Yes. Happy wife, happy life. Um, well, you know, this is interesting because it's, it's saying what are the, is it, what's the word? Main things. The main things. Main things you look for in a potential spouse. Yeah. Um, let's just identify there's essentials and then there's non-essentials, right? So we all kind of have preferences of, and we'll put it this way. The fact that my husband has a great sense of humor and can make us all laugh makes for a better life. It really for does. Some, <laughs> for some people. And for some days. For some, yeah, for for some, some days, days I don't laugh as easily. But, you know, it, it's hugely helpful. It, it really is when someone can find the humor in things, because I'm actually not a funny person. You are. Don't no, be so not hard exactly. Don't be so um, <laughs> but because he can find the humor where I maybe would be more prone to like hold a grudge or just like <laughs> fight it to the death, he has me like laughing and then I'm like, oh darn. <laughs> like, you know, this is too bad because now I'm laughing and dancing in the kitchen. I like. <laughs> um, but like I said, 
That's a non-essential. Like, that's a preference. You got that? So I think for every individual, they have to figure out what's their preferences, <laughs> what are helpful. Um, I tend to be a little bit more high-strung. And so because I'm high-strung, because he's always looking for the laugh yeah. and for the fun and everything, That's right. That's um, right. it helps me. I don't know what I would have become without him. <laughs> uh, could you imagine married somebody just like you? No, 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 no. Terrible. Nope. But with that said, I will say the essential thing that you're, gonna, you're in a recipe for disaster if you don't have it, is you want to find someone who is God-fearing. Because regardless of all of the other That's things, right. Right. all of the other personality things, all of the, they don't clean enough, they're not motivated enough, you know, all that kind of sure. stuff that you hear from people, if someone is God-fearing, right. they are going to live a life of pursuing God. And can we just put it out there? It's not your job to change someone. So meaning like the person that you choose to marry, you have to relinquish control of making them and forming them and molding them into what you need and want. And just come to a place of just embracing and celebrating the gift that's been given to you. But guess what? If they have a relationship with Jesus, right. he, Jesus can do the work <laughs> of fashioning and forming and molding. And, and that's where your conversation can stay is like, Jesus, if you care about that, you do something because that's out of my control. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that's the way I was going to answer it exactly word for word. Um, <laughs> no, um, yeah, I, somebody who loves God, you know, I think is first and foremost, you know, um, it's key. Uh, but then additional, just the practicals, I think, can this person hold a job, you know? Um, does this person know how to be a team player, you know? Um, is, he, is he or she just looking to control the relationship, you know? Are, are, uh, are this couple uh, lovingly submitting to one another um, and, and preferring one another? I think um, just some practical things to look out for there, you know, uh, um, in those regards. Um, but I think, first and foremost, everything can, can really kind of bend towards the right direction when you're dealing with two people who fear God, love God, right. uh, everything works out from there. Right. Um, and again, with kind of connecting this to the question that we just answered before, um, what was I going to say? I had something I thought was really good. Oh, if you take your time and don't just jump into marriage, you, you have the time to figure out if this person is really going to work for you, right? You can, you, can you can decide and kind of discern if this person is actually you know, a God-fearing, God-loving person, if, if they can hold a job, if they are a team player, you know, you can decide that instead of just rushing into a relationship, then finding out that they are, you know, neither. And, and then you're like, what do I do now? And you're kind of trapped. So it's another good reason why you take right. your time and you discern. It's, you know, right. it's not like somebody's trying to win a competition, but this is the person you're going to spend the rest of your life with, hopefully, by the mm -hmm. grace of God. And, and to the point of spending time to get to know somebody is it's only after you've had opportunity to have conflict that you can actually see, can this person work through conflict? How do they work through conflict? <laughs> um, the question of, is this a forgiving person? It's not easy to be married to someone that's not a forgiving person. That, that makes for a difficult life. Um, so those are the kind of things that, and I would, I would just encourage you, the other thing with that is that in the context of community, if you're someone like involved in community, that serves in community, that um, is committed, that helps like 
you know, is a team player. And then you see that in the context of community, like someone doesn't serve, someone doesn't want to be inconvenienced, someone can't follow through Come with on. commitments. I mean, those Don't are marry huge. It. <laughs> Don't marry it. Well, those are huge indicators that you know. I know we all like to isolate things to like. Well, that's just how they are at church. They just don't serve at Come church. On, oh no, break. no, they will not serve that's in right. your home that's as right. well. That's right. <laughs> if they're not that's a servant-hearted right. person, they're <laughs> that will just carry over. Yeah. Um, I was recently in a conversation with one of my friends. Um, one of my friends, I'll just leave it at that. And, and is this somebody in this room? No, no, no like, it's uh, not. No, I'm it's just not. kidding. I'm kidding. Um, but, and it's, we're talking years in, 15 years in, and she's, she made the comment. She said when we were dating, she said it was kind of entertaining to see him verbally, like, be able to, like, slay somebody. Like, mm-hmm. it, they could put him in their place and win arguments, and she's like, it was so entertaining. Um, and that now, but they're in a very conflict, they're Ooh. going through a divorce now. Mm. And she said, it's not so fun yeah. to now be the brunt of that. Yeah. And so that's one thing that you need to realize is that how they talk to their family. If you have not had the opportunity to see them in their family context mm-hmm. for how they interact with their family and their mama, <laughs> um, you know, all of those things play a part on how they are going to relate to and interface with, and the kind of family they will now create with you. Um, so those are, you know, yeah. essential things. Forgiveness, working through conflict, yeah, yeah. being a servant. Yeah, yeah. You know. Those things matter. They do. In the long scope of your marital life. They don't sound they very romantical. No. Romantical, no. romantical. But when no. they're there, they cause romance that's to right. grow. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Come on, preach. Okay. That was good. We have um, about... Uh, 15 minutes or so to answer two um, okay. pretty intense questions. Um, we'll start off with the less, um, intense. more intense, I guess, uh, question. Um, it's question number three, translators. Um, this person asks, is sex unclean? Uh, the Old Testament seems to portray sex in this way. How do we interpret and understand this aspect of the Old Covenant in light of the new this person reference? References, excuse me, Leviticus uh, 15, 16. So I'll say a couple things, and then I'll turn it over to B. Um, without getting into the theological weeds here, because we could. I mean, I am no Old Testament scholar. I'm sure you know that by now. Matter of fact, I am no scholar at all. I'm sure you know that by now. Uh, however, I do love Jesus, and I do love the Word. And I don't think it takes uh, being a scholar to love those things, nor to preach them. Um, what I will say is that, you know, of course, I think this person who asked this question is smart enough to know that obviously God, um, sex is not unclean. God created it uh, for our enjoyment. Um, uh, it's easily to see how the human body is made that um, he created us in a way to have sex and lots of sex. I mean, if you um, think about it in Genesis, um, the command of the Lord was to be fruitful and multiply. He put two naked people in a garden and said, have at it. And so, um, obviously, um, he, he likes sex, and, you know, and, he, and he's kind of given us the job to, to have it in the context of a, uh, uh, a marital uh, relationship. So, obviously, he's not now going to contradict himself in Leviticus and say, now, oh, guess what, guys, surprise, surprise. Um, this act of sex is unclean. Um, however, with that being said, in Leviticus, there were ritual and ceremonial things in which um, the children of Israel had to do uh, after um, they had sex. Um, 
and one was they were to wash themselves after the act. And there's many other details within um, the chapter. Um, and and what we, I think what we need to understand mainly is there was two kind of laws that existed here. Um, there was laws that actually um, upheld or kind of spoke to the moral um, sin and failure of God's people. And there was laws of ceremonial and ritual um, things that they were to do ceremonially. And if we look at the New Testament, I'm sure Bethany's going to bring this up. Um, but there was many ways in which Jesus um, confronted and frowned upon many of the uh, ritualistic and ceremonial laws of which the Pharisees and Sadducees were trying to uphold, not the moralistic laws. So when we look at Leviticus 15, 16, we need to understand that God is not saying um, that the act of sex is unclean. Um, rather, he is trying to paint a picture for what happens after ceremonial or ritualistic uh, things that we need to practice after we... Um, it's hard for me to say this, but have sex. I don't know why it's hard for me to say it. Um, but um, these things were more so just a ceremonial duty um, that God tasked um, the children of Israel with. Uh, and it was more so just their way, I think, of honoring God. It, um, so God is not calling sex unclean. Um, he is more so just laying uh, the foundational work, I think, for kind of ceremonial and ritualistic things to happen after the act of sex. Well, and if you look at the Old Testament, it is full of ceremonial and, like, ritual things that they had to fulfill according to the law. Like, it, it, that, that's, like, what the Old Testament is. Like, Leviticus is, like, all the rules, and you got to do it this way. And so if you kind of take it off of this one specific thing that they were instructed to do, and if you look in the New Testament, this was actually what Jesus was addressing when the Pharisees came, and they were talking about hand-washing. They were like, you know, but we were instructed in hand washing. And basically Jesus was saying, it's actually not about what's done outwardly. It's about the inward places. And so one of the things that we see is that the Old Testament was so full of these ceremonial and ritual things um, because they were not now clean under the new covenant like we are under Jesus. And so they did all of these things. But if you also study it, they really strongly felt according to like hygiene in issues of hygiene, um, but also to prevent the spread of diseases, diseases yeah. because it was just a completely different day and time. And, sure. you know. And also, at, uh, at this point in history, culture was rather depraved sexually. Yeah. And so God did this as a means for his people to stick out amongst other nations who were, you know, off the rails sexually, if you would. So it was, it was, it, it was a way of honoring God to say, we are yours, God. It's, 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 it's. It's kind of like God was singling out these people, and these were part of what made them uh, uniquely different, if you would. Uh, and so they practiced it ceremonially. Right. Sorry to cut you off. No, yeah. no, absolutely. Go ahead. Yeah, Go ahead. but I, I, you can find that consistently, not just with this and the requirements that they were to fulfill, but it was just full of those similar things in other areas of life and other rituals that they had to fulfill, that which basically when Jesus said in the New Testament is he was taking their emphasis now off of that and that that's no longer sin, but it's an issue of the heart and it's an issue of how we carry our heart and our mind and our, you know. So that's awesome. So I guess how do we now understand this, uh, you know, in light of the new covenant? I think you explained that, you know, that um, Jesus has done away with more of those ritualistic ceremonial things. 
Uh, you are to enjoy sex. If you want to wash after you have it, go ahead. Um, <laughs> it's okay. Uh, if you don't, that's okay too. Amen. <laughs> As she said, I try to be funny. Um, yes. All right, so question number one. Um, we're going to get a little bit into, how would you f- frame this for it's us? called the M word. Yeah. We're going to use some words that might scare you a bit. Is everybody don't ready? necessarily here on a Sunday morning. <laughs> Um, this um, person asks, um, and I guess specifically for the live stream. Prepare yourself. Prepare yourself, yeah. <laughs> um, question number one, uh, this person asked, uh, the topic of masturbation in mainstream media has gained popularity in recent years alongside of female empowerment discussions. As a means for females to learn more about their bodies and, and by extension, their sexuality. People talk a lot about the science and health benefits of masturbation, oftentimes treating it as necessary, as a necessary part, excuse me, of caring for one's well-being. How does uh, the Bible address masturbation? And if we are not to engage in sexual immorality, what are the healthy ways that a single Christian can gain confidence in embracing their bodies and their sexuality without engaging in the world's methods of doing so? And I think since this is a girl asking the question, we have a little, you know, female empowerment here. Yeah, I think you could start this. Yeah. Why don't you start this and we'll see where it goes. Delightful. Okay. Okay. So for full disclosure here, sorry, interwebs, you're going to get a little more information than you wanted today. Um, so I think it's important because did they use the word self-care? Yes, uh, mm. uh, self-care, um, mm-hmm. science, mm-hmm. the health benefits of masturbation. Okay. This is what culture is feeding us. Um, yeah. And actually, I did Google some of this because this was, you know. New to you? New to me. Oh. Yeah, it was new to me because <laughs> when I was growing up, it was seen as something that you, you know. Don't do. Yeah, you don't do. It wasn't necessarily. But anyways, so. Yeah. You're so ancient. I know. <laughs> I am 41, 41, so yeah, I'm considered a Such dinosaur. a relic. In this church. Um. What are you okay. laughing for? <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, let's just back the bus up a little here. In Song of Solomon, there's a phrase that's used three times. How many of you guys know Song of Solomon's like the sex book of the Bible, right? Have you read it? Yeah, read <laughs> like, it, read it. It's talking good. about the woman's breasts yes, and the like, come on. <laughs> you know, woo! Love that book. Um, <laughs> I really do. I really do. Have you read it? No. Oh. But everything that you mentioned, I just really, really love. Really, really love. Yeah. I'm married. Um, <laughs> so anyway, Song Solomon. Um, there's two things, you know, that we need to look at here. Is Song of Solomon, as much as it's depicting a male and a female relationship, it ultimately is speaking about that we are the bride of Christ and that one day there is a wedding, which is when the return of Jesus Christ comes and at the culmination of all things, yeah. where there is a bridegroom. Sure. So let's just take our, our sex talk for a moment off of like the here, the now, our, our immediate, urgent, momentary, natural, temporal, you know, like all those things. And just remember for a moment that when we're even talking about the Song of Solomon, whether you're male or female, or whether you one day will be married or you may never be married. 
in your lifetime, that the language of the song of Solomon speaks to all of us in where it says, do not awaken love until it is time. Do you know what that literally means? It basically means, in, in this language where it was speaking about her, is that there was a vineyard that's to be guarded and to be preserved. And that as if you're a virgin, or even if you're not a virgin, if you are a uh, regenerated virgin, sorry if you didn't know what that meant, Re- just meaning like virgin. you're no longer a virgin, but because you of Jesus, in the virgin you're card, now pure. You found Jesus, you got it back. You know, yeah. all, things, all things were made new. Praise <laughs> the Lord. Um, so whatever side you land on, when it's saying do not awaken love, until it is time. It's literally talking about that this is an area of like sexual desire, sexual longing, and sexual yearning that we should not be awakening until we can have expression of it. Now let's also take it a step further. There's many of us in this room that your sexual desire and appetite was awakened not by choice. Meaning, even in childhood, that there's abuse that happened, or even if it wasn't physical, that you were exposed to pornography. So can we just say and acknowledge that it's been awakened, and that creates an additional challenge for you now. Um, But for those that maybe it has not been awakened, and so I will say this is my testimony, is that I definitely lived a very um, sheltered, innocent life. And I got married when I was 30, And I'm only saying this to say, I know a lot of people are kind of like, well, if I'm going to be single for the rest of my life, how do I find expression? I got married when I was 30. I definitely never masturbated before I was married. I was really never sexually stirred. I walked with Jesus from a young age. So, like, I had a very peculiar. But what I'm saying to you is that when that appetite and desire is not being awakened, but in addition to that, it's not being fed. And so this is what I think this conversation about masturbation comes down to, is it comes down to an appetite that we're either choosing to feed and to allow it to grow, or it comes down to an appetite that we're choosing at this point in time to not fulfill that appetite. And hear me when I say, I understand that for some people you're like, well, what if I don't ever get married? So that's never, like, I don't have that opportunity. You should also view the language of the Song of Solomon, that it, that vineyard that's being preserved, maybe it's not for a physical man or a physical woman, but we're being preserved for Christ. And that we want to be able to present ourselves before him, that we stewarded even our physical body, that we worshiped him with our appetites. That's profound. It's one thing to worship God with words and with song. We can worship him in so many ways, but to worship him in our appetites of saying, you are bigger, you are better, you are more desirous. You know, when we were in our young 20s, we were a part of um, a church fellowship, and it's a pastor that's still very much a part of our lives, and we love, he's a, he's a wise father. And before we were getting married, you know, we were in his office one day, one day talking, and and we're talking about marriage and sexuality and all that kind of stuff, and he was so funny. He's like, Jesus is better than, and you could tell he was going to actually say sex, but he went, Jesus is better than ice cream. And he, he, caught, he was like, Jesus is better. Yeah, I thought that was awkward, personally, but yeah, I'm sure there's something that I could have applied it. Well, and then one time, like from the pulpit, he actually was talking about just how that Jesus is better than anything that this world can give us. 
And again, he actually used ice cream, which was, I mean, obviously yeah. Jesus is better than ice cream. Absolutely. But it was so funny sitting Some in my seat. Cream. I was like, no, I know what he's talking about. He's, <laughs> he's not talking about ice cream. He's yeah. saying, um, but I think that this is ultimately even what this question comes down to. Because let's put it this way. When we want to talk about almost like in our single years, like almost this is kind to, for me, like I need this outlet, we have to understand first and foremost that if we're not actually able to even in our sexuality exalt Jesus and that he is even above any temporary appetites, um, but also, I mean, I'll let you share, but there's several passages of scripture that are specifically addressing this issue of becoming slaves to certain things, meaning that we have a carnal appetite, and however we choose to steward that, we can either rule over that, or we, become, we can become a slave to it. And so in this area, I have never ministered to a person or spoken to a person where if they start down this road of masturbation, it's something that does not become a form of an addiction, which then means you become a slave to it. It's something that is compulsive. And now, even though you don't necessarily want to practice that, it's still being practiced, which means you've come into bondage to something. Sure. So. Sure. Yeah, so, you know, unfortunately, um, the Bible doesn't say anything about this particular topic. Now, I'm sure there's some probably in this room that disagree with that, but hey, listen, you come to me with a verse, um, and I'll listen. Um, there are, I think, three scriptures that exist where scholars have tried to make the connection, but it really doesn't hold a lot of water. Um, so why I'm saying this is that God doesn't come directly out in his word and say this is sin. And so I think that's where the confusion might come from, might stem from. Well, if God didn't say anything uh, and condoning this act, then why can't we do it? I think there's many reasons why we can't do it because for me personally, coming from the other side of the tracks um, than Bethany, somebody who was pure and kind of didn't awaken love before time, I awakened a lot of love. Um, yeah, they called me the love machine. Uh, not really, but it, it's, it, it fit right there, so I'll just, you know, coin that as my own. Um, so, you know, I obviously came from the other side, awakened love, and, you know, I can definitely relate to how this particular struggle not only became addictive, um, but it opened the door to many other addictions and, and, and many other uh, sins, if you would. Um, now, I don't know how it works for the female, but I'm a male and I know how it works for me. And given the fact that I've been in ministry for 20 plus years, I get to talk and pray with and help uh, many men uh, try to find victory in this area of life um, because I definitely have found it in mine. Um, and I've never uh, talked to one man who said um, they never had any thoughts in their mind or weren't looking at pornography or, you know, weren't feeding the flame in another way, lusting after a woman who was not their wife or somebody who uh, they're not even married, you know, or so. Um, there's always other things that kind of come along with this thing, you know. And although the Bible is not explicitly condoning or saying that masturbation is a sin, the things that kind of accompany, if you would, that go along with the act are right. such as um, uh, lust, you know, for example, where Jesus in Matthew 5, 27 through 28, um, it's a verse we probably all know and can quote. He said, this, you have heard uh, that it was said uh, to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman uh, uh, to lust for her has already committed adultery in his heart. I love what John Piper says. Um, I'm gonna, 
I don't know if I quite get this. I think I do, but the way it was worded was kind of confusing. Uh, but I'm going I'm to quote them and see what you think. Uh, and I think I'm talking to men again. I don't know how it works for women. Um, I've heard some stories from Bethany of different women that she's met with. And there, 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 um, there, there seems to be a difference. But, but men are very uh, stimulated visually, I think, through what they see. And so uh, maybe this is more applicable for you uh, fellows here. Uh, John Piper says, um, I cannot imagine sexual orgasm in the loins without sexual image in the mind. And so, again, I, I don't know if I thoroughly understand that, um, the way that he's worded. I probably would have worded it a little bit differently, but I get it, uh, that you cannot really, um, you know, I, I hate saying the word, but you cannot do the act without actually having um, thoughts, I, I believe, going off in your mind, viewing pornography, fantas fantasizing about a woman or lusting in your heart towards a woman. I, I don't think that it's possible. Um, in my years and in, in struggle, and I can even go as far as saying my addiction with this, um, there was always uh, something in my mind that was going on, either something that in my mind was going on where I was lusting after someone or something that I was viewing, uh, maybe a uh, pornog pornography, excuse me, or a magazine, something that kind of just opened the door and started me off into the act of actually masturbating. And I think that's commonly um, what it is for every male. I'm, I'm, I don't know. I'm just a believer that all things are common among the brethren, that there's really not a lot of um, surprises here, that if you take my struggle and, 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 and you take your struggle, they would look similar in kind of how they play out in our lives. And um, that, for me, is uh, how it went when I was enslaved. Um, I'm now free and I'm proud that I am uh, because I never really understood. I never really, uh, I, I guess that's why I took the articles that I was reading when this person asked this question, that there was actually, you know, benefits to this act because I never experienced them in eight or nine years of struggle. Um, and I've met with hundreds of hundreds of young men who have never shared with me one benefit that it's ever come out of um, being addicted um, to masturbation. And so... Uh, that's where I'll leave it. Um, there is victory. There is hope. You do not have to struggle with Amen. this addiction, and you do not have to believe the cultural lie Amen. that says, you know, it's okay, embrace it, accept it, and do as, as much as you can. Um, this particular sin uh, um, most of the time is accompanied by many others, and that's where we can make a clear distinction and say, no, the Bible doesn't say a lot about mas masturbation, but it does say an awful lot about lust. Um, and so those things often accompany the act. Amen? Well, that wasn't that bad. Yeah. Anything else you have to say about that? I mean, it is 12.03 with three we minutes over what up. we usually do. Yeah. We should wrap up. Well, I don't know what's going to happen after this Sunday, guys. We still have, I think, a good um, handful of questions. Um, please, we may not be able to get to them all. I mean, we could probably, um, you know, spend another month talking about this stuff. And I don't know if that's necessarily what God has for us. Um, but <laughs> keep in mind... We do have a second service um, next Sunday. And uh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, 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 it's pretty exciting. Uh, so we're going to need you. We're going to need you to in invite people out to the second service, get people here, um, you know, be proactive, um, you know, do everything apart from sinning uh, to get people here. Um, uh, maybe offer them some money, I don't know, uh, but... Um, I will, yeah, yeah. But we do. We have a second service, and so um, hopefully it's going to alleviate some of the congestion that we feel. 
Um, and, but yet we um, still want people to show up and be in these seats as we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, so with that, I'm going to close in prayer. But what we want to do is if I can have Will, we can stop the web stream. Um, I'm going to have Will come up. The- We're so glad that you joined us today. Our prayer is that this would be a resource to help you grow in your faith and grow in your affection for Christ. So here's what not to do. Don't let this replace community. It's so vital that you get involved with your local church. It's where you're going to find accountability. You're going to have believers who know you and can pray for you. There's just only so much we can do over the internet to know and care for you. So whether it's a community group on Wednesday night or Sunday morning, it's where you're going to really find that you flourish in your walk with God. Finally, if this resource is helpful to you, and you utilize it, we want to invite you to give financially. Help us do more of this. There's a lot more that we want to do, such as live streaming worship at some point, but it requires more of a investment. So we want to invite you to be part of it with us.